because she's part of the team. And uh, we're, we make a good team because we're co completely opposites. He's the gas and I'm the brakes. And uh, sometimes she disappoints, she doesn't like being the brakes, but brakes are important, amen? <laughs> if you don't have brakes, then the gas doesn't do much good. So, um, also, uh, when I get nervous, my brain shuts off. I don't know how to say any words, but when she gets nervous, she talks, so. More than usual. So this will be a. Oh, yeah. Use a mouse here. Oh, actually, hold on. You're on. So anyway, what we're going to do is what we live in Moscow, Idaho, and we got a little clinic there in Moscow and one in Pullman. They're, they're twin cities, about eight miles apart. Both of them are um, uh, community towns. 30,000 students live in, I mean, not community, uh, college towns, sorry. And uh, we have a, a clinic there that is owned by our conference. And so that's a, an idea that I came across and I'll tell you the story when I was uh, younger, when I was a teenager, I came across that. So what I'm going to do is tell you a little bit of my story and then how we got into this clinic and the response of the churches and the, and the conferences and then uh, some of the struggles and... Um, here. When I... F yes, that's fine. When I... F let me see how I, get I didn't this. get a chance to edit this. I didn't know what he put on there. Browse. But I am a mom. Is that cool? Okay. So, um, where was that? Your story. My story, and then oh, some of the challenges, and so, oh, when I uh, heard, first heard from, I think it was uh, Dr. James. He called me up and said, "Would you present for Amen Conference?" and and I said, sure. And he says, would you uh, make a PowerPoint presentation? And I said, sure. I don't know much about PowerPoint. So uh, that was a, a strike against me right there. And then he says, we want to hear success stories. And I said, oh, no. I didn't tell him that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought, success stories? I don't have any success stories. I've just been here beating my head against this wall for 20 years. And what do I have to show for myself? But... Um, it's been, it's been helpful to go back and review, you know, my life, I guess, and say, yeah, God has led. There's been some challenges, but, um, and overall, you know, and there's challenges ahead of us, but God has, God has been good. Amen. So, um, this story starts out when I was a teenager in high school. I went to uh, Auburn Adventist Academy, and uh, I always wanted to be a basketball player when I was, when I was uh, in high school, and I didn't really care about studies or anything else. I just wanted to jump higher. And, uh, and uh, one day in my thirst for better health, I ran across a little uh, bookcase in my parents' home. It was full of red books. Now, I'd heard of Ellen White before. We talked about it at school, but commonly it was in a negative kind of a tone, and so I didn't really know much about the whole controversy. I didn't pay much attention to it, but I found these books, and I pulled out one, and the first one was Counsel on Diets and Foods. And so I read through this book, and, and I thought, 
as I read through it, I started putting into practice some of these things that I heard. And I just loved it because every time I put into practice something new, I noticed my game was improving and I could shoot better and I could jump higher. <laughs> and so I thought, this is great. And uh, I don't know if you can imagine a 15-year-old reading Council on Diets and Foods or not, but <laughs> that, that was what I, I did. And, and uh, it, it had such a profound effect on my game that when I got through that book, I went down to the next one and it was uh, Council on Health or something else like that. And, uh, and then I got to the place where I, if I realized that if I really want to have good physical health, I had to have good spiritual health. So you know you can't read much of the Bible or Spirit of Prophecy without getting that combination. So, and one of the recommendations was spending an hour every day thinking about the life of Christ. And I thought, well, you know, what's an hour a day if I'm going to improve my game? You know, it's, 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 it's good. And so I started spending an hour a day thinking about the life of Christ and, you know, not caring about the life of Christ, but really just wanting to improve my basketball game. <laughs> and, uh, and before the... And before the, I realized I'd fallen in love with God, what happened? And, and, um, <clears throat> and so that was kind of the beginning of my walk with God. You know, it started out kind of in a funny way, but um, God uses funny ways. And um, so I appreciate that. And then so once I had fallen in love with God, it was just a matter of time before I went from book to book and finished out, you know, um, the different books there on the shelf. And... So I realized that it's pretty easy to see the combination of spiritual and physical health to me. That was, that was a no-brainer. Because start out with physical health, ended up in spiritual health. So that was easy. But then the, the part that I learned later was that if I really, then I wanted to be able to share that with others. And so I had a desire to become a physician and, and, and share what I had learned with other people. And, and the way I had learned how to, that, that it seemed to be clear is that if I really wanted to do that in the best way, I had to be partnered up with a minister. So the concept of physician and minister became very clear at an early age that that, that was important, and also the concept of partnering with the church. And so when I went to medical, medical school, I thought, well, I'll just go to medical school, and then when I get out, I'll look for a church somewhere and start practicing and, and teaching people how to you know, jump higher and and spend their time with God. Um, so I finished medical school and went to a few churches and said, okay, I'm ready to work, 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 and I work. And basically they had no concept of what I was talking about. And so I moved up to Moscow and bought myself a practice and and had fun for a few years, you know, making money. And But that got old after a while. So um, uh, basically everywhere I'd go, I'd... When a new pastor would come into our church, I'd say, hey, you know, what about this? I'd show them the stuff I'd been learning. And they said, yeah, it's like a good idea. Um, and, uh, you know, I met with the conference people. I met with, uh, there was a group in Seattle that was starting up a, uh, a clinic there. I met with them. And so all the time, just meeting with people and say, you know, what about this? What can we do? And and uh, should be following my PowerPoint here. I spent so much time on it. Um, okay, so here's the concepts that I learned from Spirit Prophecy, the importance of physical, spiritual, emotional health, uh, the, the importance of being part of a church and having church involvement, relationship with the, 
Uh, so, so the relationship of a church with a physician is really similar to the relationship of a church with a pastor. So a physician in Ellen White's concept was uh, designed to work with a church. Um, so so um, about 1999 or so, uh, my son was struggling with with a uh, grade school. He's about ready to get kicked out. I've never heard of a kid getting kicked out of grade school, but anyway, that's where <laughs> my son was. He couldn't sit in a chair for more than five minutes. And uh, so I took out a year and homeschooled him. And during that time, had some time to reflect on, uh, you know, what's my rest of my life going to show? I want to I wanna do this thing and spend, I'm getting old, and if I'm, I'm going to do it, I better do it now. So at the end of that year, uh, I talked to the conference again, and we were just planning a church, and finally got the okay to say, okay, let's, let's do this. And, uh, okay, where do we go from here? Oh, so here's, here's some of the, the arguments. So, oh, yeah, so I, I went to different, I looked at different models. I went to some of the um, 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 different sanitariums and also went to Loma Linda and said, you know, what, what do you think about this? Um, you know, can this work? And basically people said, no, it's not going to work. Um, the church is too political. It's, never, it's too slow. Um, they're going to take your money. Um, it's difficult to raise funds. I, I sat on a um, church planting um, committee with uh, Ron Gladden. He was a church planter with the North Pacific Union. And he, he told me, we are wired to give money independently. So if you belong to a church, you're not going to be able to get money. In fact, he uh, decided to uh, quit, getting, uh, quit working for the church and he is, uh, has his own independent ministry planning churches in order to gain more money that way. And then the other argument is you'll never find a physician to work on a conference wage. And that's, that's still a good argument, by the way. In <laughs> um, some of the challenges within the church, they said, um, you're going to be too much of a liability on a conference. Someone's going to sue us. You know, we're deep pockets. Um, PR liability they didn't mention very much. Um, we don't know how to run clinics. We know, we know how to run schools. We know how to run um, churches, but we don't know how to, run, how to run clinics. And so I'd say, well, you know, we better learn how to do that. That's part of, the, that's part of our mission. And then I remember uh, our conference president, after sitting down with him, showing everything, he had said, now, now why do you want to be part of the conference? And, uh, and so it's, it's a concept that if we've lived without it for all of our lives, it's a concept that's hard to understand. Um, but, but every time I would look at all the arguments against it and I'd come back to what I'd learned as a child, as a kid. And so I'd always rely on God's word and that's the only thing that's really kept us going. Um, Lynn Behrens, if you, any of you know her, was a bright spot in my, um, in my uh, journey, I guess. Uh, I met with her and uh, bless her heart, she took time out of her busy schedule. And I told her, you know, what I was working on, basically, I think, looking for a way to get out of it. But uh, she said, no, I think you're on the right track. She said, uh, don't try to get a lot of people involved. Just go do your thing. And 
I'll pray for you. So she, she knelt down and prayed for me there in her office, and, and that was a great encouragement. So, uh, success. Um, do you want to share our quote that we share every day? Or do you not? It's not the capabilities. Yeah. I'll try. He'll help me if I can't remember. He's trying to give me a chance to talk. Um, this has been a great encouragement to me in my life. It is not the capabilities that we now have or ever will have that'll bring us success. It is that which you can fill in the blank God can do for us. We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do. He long for every, for every believing soul. He longs to have us reach out to him by faith. He longs to give us understanding in temporal as well as spiritual matters. He longs to have us... He can sharpen the intellect. He can sharpen the intellect. He can give tact and skill. Ask God for wisdom. Put your energies in the work, and it will be given to you. Did we miss any L's here where you're supposed to come in? I'm not sure. I've got some things on journey, core values, benefits of church, science. Let's look. Oh, okay. So here I had all this, all this good advice, and um, but what to do with it? And you know, I, I, I didn't have a very good pros and cons um, chart, but, <laughs> but, but here, here's my two arguments. I said, okay, what if? I don't do this, and I'm on the judgment, on the day of judgment, I'm talking to God. And so I, I played this scenario over my, in my mind. And Okay, so I don't start this church clinic, and here I'm standing before God, and he says, how can you start the clinic? I'm going to say, well, because the church is too political, <laughs> because um, it, it would be too slow, it would, uh, I couldn't find enough people to help me. And he's going to say, go to hell. <laughs> and, and I mean that because when God asks us to do something and we don't do it, it's not an arbitrary thing. We're just not trusting God. And so it's like Jonah. If Jonah refused to follow God, then, you know, God's not going to arbitrarily say, you're, you're lost. He's going to uh, reap the consequences of his own choice. Okay, so, um, so what if I said... What if I didn't have this clinic? <clears throat> now, which, which one did I do already? We didn't. What if you do have the clinic? Oh, if I do have the clinic. Okay, yeah. So if I do have the clinic, and, I, and, and, God, and I'm standing before God, and God says, you know, you had all this good advice why it wasn't going to work. You knew it was going to be slower. You knew that all these challenges. Why did you do that? And I'm going to say, because I was convinced that's what you wanted me to do. And... So if I'm wrong, he's going to say, well, you know, you misinterpreted the scripture. Here's where you misinterpreted Ellen White. I'm going to say, okay, I'm, I, I see what you're talking about now. And, and he's going to say, okay, you did your best. Come on in. So, <laughs> so okay. So how do we measure success? You got something there? Well, I wanted to share just a little bit about um, my observations. I had the blessing of being raised as a preacher's child, and 
the uh, blessing of being married to a physician for 25 years. And I've seen a lot of similarities in the talents that God gives both. They, and one of the areas is management, tremendous management skills. The physicians are used to managing their clinic or whatever their job responsibility is, and they're the CEO. The minister is used to being the CEO and managing their church or whatever it is that they're in charge of. And so it was very interesting to sit back and watch how do these two, how are they going to work together here? And as a child, I was able to see some of the medical missionary work together and, and see some benefits from that, but nothing like I've seen from the clinic. And I want to share a little observations. One of the things it takes is a great deal of patience because it is slower. Each of these parties are learning to yield to each other. There, there's the humility. They're learning to surrender their methods, their plans, their managerial roles to work together for God's best for each other. They're there to educate each other because one does not really know the depth of what they need to know that the other one does. And of course, there has to be a great deal of trust between the two of them. And I saw this so beautifully, Elder Doug Venn, you probably, some of you were here a few years ago when he came with Dr. Torquato from the clinic and Roger Ferguson. He embraced this vision and I was so excited because I got to see it being implemented in Bangkok. God led him from our church to be the church planter in Bangkok, about 12 million people for six years period of time. And my girlfriend, Carol Reynolds, who's like my sister and had spent 12 years there with her family in medical mission work, we met over there in Thailand. And we saw where Pastor Vin is implementing this, not just through the English language schools, which is helping to bring in the Buddhists who are very difficult to reach with Christianity. And I could tell you some exciting stories later about seeing that. But the medical missionary meeting their needs through appetite, through simple treatments, is something that's being implemented there. So, you know, the different ways of measuring success, um, here's some of our core values that we, we have in our clinic. One is that we're going to do spiritual health, not only physical health, but spiritual health. And what does that look like? Everybody that, first of all, the community knows that we're a church-owned clinic. We're very open about that. On the back of our card, it says owned and operated by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In our brochure, we talk about the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, Should we tell them we have some? Yeah, we have some here if you want some. Look at that. But So first of all, we're very open about our, our uh, connection with the church. And everybody that comes in and gets a spiritual assessment, that's just, uh, I think that's common anymore in our world anyway. And we, we look at their spiritual goals. We, we tell them that... We are praying for them, and prayer is offered at that time if they want it. We share our testimonies with them, and um, so that's one of our core values is, is the spiritual component. Um, another core value is everything that we do in our clinic is based on science, true science, or God's word. So we don't do anything that's we don't see either recommended in God's word or science. Okay. I want to share a little bit about that. I have been so blessed through our educational system, though not nearly as much education as some of you. I was able to um, take nursing and go to the School of Health, receive my public health degree. And Dr. Mervyn Harding was there, the founder. Dr. Harding's an MD, a doctorate of pharmacy, and a doctor of public health. 
and one of the most loving, humble, godly men I have ever met in my entire life. And he really cast a vision for true science and spirituality, and this has been a commitment since the inception. And I have never seen an amalgamation of pseudoscience and spirituality like I have seen in the last maybe 10 years or so. And this is happening not only in the world at large, but this is happening even in our own church, partly due to lack of education and maybe some misunderstanding of spiritual principles. And um, it is so important to have God-given wisdom so that we do not mislead people or prejudice them. We have very specific counsel and spirit of prophecy that our physicians must use sound science so we do not prejudice the world. And we have had pressure at our clinic, uh, some by lay people and some professional people. You need this or that supplement. You need to do certain things that really are not um, you know, peer-reviewed sound science. And they're not also either clearly revealed in Revelation. And Satan knows there's nothing more effective than spirituality combined with the physical healing. And isn't that something he is counterfeiting because he knows the Lord is coming soon? And he read what Mrs. White wrote. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial line but medical missionary work. So other core values is every patient has a choice, you know, even though they know that we're Adventist on clinic, clinic, they know that we respect their choices. So we're not going to, um, you know, if they don't want to talk about spiritual things, we just mark the chart. Does not want to talk about spiritual things. Um, of course, uplift Christ as our healer, disease prevention. So here's, here's some more concrete things that I use as a measure of success. You know, when patients are able to make Good choices, physically or spiritually. That's that's a success to me. Uh, when I see uh, cooperation from the conference and from the church, that's success. Uh, baptisms is a marker, I think, of success and uh, involvement in church members with the patients. Um, one of our goals is to hook up church members with our patients because the success that we have had has come when our patients interact with with many people. So when they're able to go to a small group, when they're able to go to church, when they're able to go to some seminar, when they hook up, when, they, when I make friends with them, that's when they come to church. And so I can't make friends with all my patients. You know, I can make friends with two or three of them, four of them, but it takes an army of people to, to make that happen. So one of the things that we want to emphasize as we're going through here is it takes a team, it takes a church, it takes a clinic, it takes a school, takes a conference. Everybody has to be working together uh, for these people. Um, so other evidence of success I, I look at, number of people that have come to church, number of people that are involved in our small groups, and then, of course, in the future, if anybody else is suckered into this. Um, benefits so far? To me, it's, it's been part of my salvation, I believe. Um, you know, I'm not used to, I, I, in the first 10 years of my practice, I was used to calling the shots. I'd hire and fire. Um, if I needed some equipment, I'd buy it. Uh, now I have a committee. If I want to do something, I take it to the board. Um, so that's been an important part of my, my growth. Um, one of the things that does for the church, is this your thing? I can certainly share in here. 
It is, it's been really exciting to see how embracing our church is of the patients that come and even people that may eventually become our patients. Or It's, it's a muddled line because it all works together. But people do outreach. If one of the patients has gone from church for a period of time, they might sign a card or call them or go pick them up. We have a potluck at church every week, and that brings people in. Um, different patients... Um, are visited by church members. There's a Saturday of service. There's people that go at different times and do practical work or hydrotherapy for people, just a variety of different ministries. And that pretty much leads right into the volunteer program. Yeah, go ahead. Is that all right? Okay. One of the dreams that we've had is to have a volunteer program. In fact, one reason I've been able to be so active in this process is my mother set up a foundation before she died, and that foundation has been very active in the clinic. So I'm on the executive committee and the board of directors. And one of our dreams has been to have a volunteer coordinator because you know how busy office staffs are. And that person would have enough educational background to know how to help volunteers, whether they're from the church or community, to know what is okay and not okay, whether it's professionally or spiritually, science, et cetera, to go in and to minister to our patients. And that's been a thrilling thing. And we finally got a volunteer coordinator. We had one for a year, and she went up and got married and moved away. So if you know somebody, we are in need and praying for somebody new. But Eva did a wonderful job. And... The volunteer program reminds me so much of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is that Good Samaritan. And that story in Christ's Object Lessons talks about what is the basis of godliness? It's love. And it doesn't matter whatever the profession we're told, that no one has pure love to God unless he has what? Unselfish love for his brother. And how does that happen? Is it just doing good for others? No. It is having Christ in the heart. And it's when we are submerged in his will. And so um, it is just exciting to have seen how the volunteer program gives people opportunity to let Christ work in their heart and work in the community more and more. And this helps to dispel the prejudice of religion, is seeing that one-on-one -on -one work. And, and Linda mentioned this, but I just want to underscore it. So our church is very open for patients coming in. So we have, you know, some of our manic depressives coming to church, and that's okay. We've got people who need a bath coming to church, and that's okay. Of course, we've got, you know, lawyers and police chiefs and other people coming to church too, but they see it as a, a mission. They see people coming in the door as, oh, that must be one of Dr. Spady's patients. Okay, we better reach out to them. And so... Um, it's, it's been a really neat thing for me to watch a church embrace this. Um, what time is it? Um, one of the things that's been a, a, a benefit is to the conference. Um, so, so if I need a church that is health outreached and is, is people outreached, I'm going to need a pastor that's interested in their health. And so one of the things we've been able to discuss with the conference is, you know, we need a wellness program. And when I first talked to the conference, they said, a wellness program? None of the conferences have a wellness program. Why should we need a wellness program? All Adventists are well. And so, <laughs> so 
So basically, we convince them that no, you know, look at your drug prescriptions to, or your prescription cost to Prozac. It's way up there, and other, you know, other diseases. You got diseases in your in your in your ministers and your teachers, and so. We've had a, a wellness program in our conference now for three or four years, and uh, now they're happy about it because the cost of healthcare has gone down. The only conference that I know of that the cost of healthcare has gone down. And so I'm, I'm happy about that, but I'm more happy about ministers and teachers learning how to take care of themselves. Um, so here's, here's some of the baptisms. We won't put stories to names, but the names will just remind us. Um, do you want to share? I want to share one in particular that is just a really neat young man that um, that we got to know through a mutual friend, and Bob befriended him and would ask him, oh, come to church, we're going to do music, and come bring your guitar, and so that's how he started coming to church, and more and more, and fellowshipping, and eventually he was baptized. Now he's been having some struggles coming from time to time, and um, his birthday is tomorrow, and when we get back to Idaho, he wants us to come in tomorrow night and have a dinner with him. And I've been resisting that because early Monday morning, we're going to Africa, and we're not going to have much time to unpack and repack. And I'm going, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that in my selfishness. And God said this morning, if you're going to be encouraging people to sacrifice themselves for my sake, you need to be willing to do that too. Here's a young man that's craving time with our family and wants to celebrate his birthday. Yeah, so, so um, it, it's sometimes it's hard to, you know, it's, like, it's not like someone comes in the clinic, we see them for a year, and then they're baptized. So it's, w what happens is we see patients in our clinic, we see them in a church, we see them in small groups, we may see them in a depression seminar, and after circling around for a while, they end up going to all of them. And so, but, uh, so we've been, we've been, happy with the number of baptisms. We wish it would be more. One of the families here um, got to know Adventists through a restaurant, and then they were in our prayer group for, what, maybe seven years or more, and then they started coming when our group was in, our small group was in charge of church, and that's the way Roger Ferguson, if you heard him speak with our doctors a few years ago, he was involved in a small group. Hey, our church is in charge, our group for church tomorrow, we're going to preach, come and help us, and eventually that family was baptized too. Um, church attendance, um, got a lot of people coming through now and then. Uh, some people stay longer. Some people, um, one of the ladies there first came to our depression seminar that uh, we do three times a year, Neil Nedley's uh, seminar. It's been a blessing to our church. And uh, she has no Bible knowledge at all, but she in appreciated the interaction with, with the people who put on the the seminar. She's been coming to church. And it's fun to have someone in church that has no concept of where Genesis is or who Moses was because it helps you realize that, you know, we're not here just to learn a new theory. We're here to, to, to teach people about, about God. Um, oh, Roger, I, I, I'm okay to mention Roger because he, about Five years ago, we, we had a little uh, article in the Review and Herald, and he was our poster boy for that. And I, he came here like three years ago and presented. And uh, he's a good example of, of, of what happens in our ministry. Roger's not baptized yet, but since he came here last three years ago, he's been coming to church faithfully. He comes to our uh, planning meetings, and so 
sometimes it's kind of awkward to have them there because we're talking about, okay, who's, who's on our list for baptisms? And, but, you know, he's on our list, so we, we ask him, Roger, you know, you're on our list for baptism. When do you want to get baptized? And, uh, and, uh, and he'll say, you know, something like, well, I don't believe in your doctrines. Oh, okay, that's fine. So um, we'll, we'll wait for Roger. But just not too long ago, he was in my office, and, uh, and uh, I was saying, I was kind of apologizing a little bit for our church for, for Haslam on baptism. I said, you know, hey, we appreciate you just coming to church. You're a blessing to us. You know, you come to our planning meetings, and you're, I don't care if you get baptized. You know, you're, you're part of our church. And he says, oh, you know, I want to get baptized. And he says, I said, well, why is that? And he says, well, because if I'm baptized, I can have a voting. I can be a voter, voting member. <laughs> so, um, we have a small group ministry, and here's some of the people that have been uh, active in that. Oh, can I be plugged in here? Oh, this end needs to be plugged in. <laughs> Here's a, a strip. Okay. Oh no. Froze up now. Technology's great when it works. So we talked about the volunteer program. Um, here's some of our goals. We want to we want to get a better volunteer program. We want to get everybody in the church involved in some kind of outreach. We want to do some studies. We want to do a study on uh, hydrotherapy, for example. You know, looking at influenza. Take a hundred college students. We've got all kinds of college students. Give half of them hydrotherapy and see if we can take a day off the course. We want to start more clinics. Um, we want to sponsor medical students through school so that they can. Uh, what's it called? The deferred mission appointment. Anybody here have a deferred mission appointment? Great. We would like to get some of you into mission appointments in the states. And so that's not a program that's up and running yet, but with the with we've been talking to the general conference and they say seem like a reasonable thing to do and so maybe a few years from now we'll have that. So we're, that's what we're hoping for. We need a st staff is always a hard thing to do. We live in a small community, our church is small. Um, you know, in my old practice, when I needed a staff, I'd put an ad in the paper and screen, you know, 25 people and hire them the next day. When you have all Adventist staff, then it takes a little bit of work to find, find the people you need. You end up training a lot of people. Um, of course, we need physicians willing to work on a conference salary. That's, um, and we need a, if we're going to have 30 clinics, I'm, I'm envisioning some kind of a coordinator to help get all that going. Okay, so how much time do we have? So a few quotations here. That, and if anybody wants uh, the whole... 58-page document. 58-page document. Let me know. I'll, I can email it to you. But here's a few of the things that, that stand out. The work of the true medical missionary is largely a spiritual work. It includes prayer laying on the hands. He therefore should be as sacredly set apart for his work as is the minister of the gospel. This will strengthen them against the temptation to withdraw from the sanitarium work to engage in private practice. Um, I will tell you that when the gospel ministers and the medical missionary workers are not united, there is place in our churches the worst evil 
that can be placed there. Our medical missionaries ought to be interested, so forth. And there's many statements about the intimate relationship, the different words she puts in there between um, the gospel work and the medical missionary work. Of course, we all know the example of the arm and the body. Um, many of these things, perfect union, work harmoniously. Um, as the medical missionary work becomes <coughs> excuse me, more extended, there will be a temptation to make it independent of our conferences, but it has been presented to me that this plan is not right. The different lines of our work are but parts of one great whole. They have one center. God has brought his people together in church capacity in order that they may reveal to the world the wisdom of him who formed this organization. So just the fact that we have an organization that can work together, and that's not easy. Anybody, any of you who've sit on boards, you know that's a board is a, a good place to test your, your Christian experience. <laughs> Uh, never should a sanitarium be established as an enterprise independent of the church. Our physicians are to unite with the work of the minister of the gospel. Medical missionary work is in no case to be divorced from the gospel ministry. Uh, without this union, neither part of the work is complete. Um, Satan works every moment to find an opportunity for stealing in. He tells the physician that his talents are too valuable to be bound up among Seventh-day Adventists, that if he were free, to, he could do a very large work. The physician is tempted to feel that he has methods which he can carry independent of the people for whom God has wrought, that he might place them above every other people on the face of the earth. But let not the physician feel that his influence would increase if he should separate himself from his, this work. Should he attempt to carry out his plans, he would not meet with success. God has committed to us a special work, a work that no other people can do. That's pretty awesome. And I have been instructed that the work appointed to the physicians in our sanitariums is uh, dot, 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 link up closely with the gospel missionaries and do their work with faithfulness. Those who disparage the ministry and try to conduct the medical missionary work independently are trying to separate the arm from the body. What would be the result should they succeed? We should see hands and arms flying about, dispensing means without the direction of the head. The work would become disproportionate and unbalanced. That which God designed should be the hand and arm would take the place of the whole body, and the ministry would be belittled or altogether ignored. This would unsettle minds and bring in confusion, and many portions of the Lord's vineyard would be left unworked. Uh, the medical missionary work should be a part of the work of every church in our land. Excuse me. <coughs> Disconnected from the church, it would soon become a strange medley of disorganized atoms. It would consume but not produce. Instead of acting as God's helping hand to forward his truth, it would sap the life and force from the church and weaken the message. Conducted independently, it would not only consume talent and means needed in other lines, but in the very work of helping the helpless apart from the ministry of the word, it would place men where they would scoff at Bible truth. Here's a good example of how I see it. Um, the gospel ministry is needed to give permanence and stability to the medical missionary work. And the ministry needs the medical missionary work to demonstrate the practical working of the gospel. So another place she says, the ministry is the roots, 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 whatever. And the medical work is the branches and the flowers. 
Education of students in medical ministry lines is not complete unless they are trained to work in connection with the church and the ministry. And the usefulness of those who are preparing for the ministry would be greatly increased. Um, if the medical missionary work is carried on as a part of the gospel, worldlings will see the good that is being done. They will be convicted of its genuineness and will give it their support. But not our physicians think that they can set themselves up in private practice close beside our sanitariums. To those who have done this, the Lord says, are there not many other places in which you could have established your plant? It is the purpose of God that a health institution should be organized and controlled exclusively by the Seventh-day Adventists. In every city where we have a church, there is need of a place where treatment can be given. Temptations will come to you to think that in order to carry forward the medical missionary work, you must stand aloof from church organization or church discipline. So, that is, so the, the part that's been hard on me is the church, you know, I'm, I'm there um, under church discipline, you could say. So that's, that's part of the thing I'm learning. Okay, let's buzz through this. Never, never... Time's up, she says. Never, never should a sanitarium be established to become an interest independent of church. So how often? Two nevers. That's twice as much as one never. We have a great work to do in our world. If ministers and doctors will work in God's lines, he will work with them, but they must change decidedly, change in spirit and character. They must remember that they are not the only ones to whom the Lord will give wisdom. If his people will not follow in his way, the Lord will employ heathen princesses to do his will. Okay. I would just want to share more thing. As I was reading through parts of this document on the way down on the plane, I was so thrilled. God has called you as healthcare workers to not only take the example of submission to Christ and to church and work together and to be medical missionary works, but to educate other people because soon... There's going to be how much work? Only medical missionary work. And that is what God has called you to do. Thank you.